Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I don't know about you, but my time spent here and uh, Lee and I, my wife, we, we spent about six, seven years here in this church. And actually I owe this church a whole lot of gratitude. You know, we're experiencing an awesome season in our church. And I think that fruit is your seeds. And so I'm so thankful for the time that we uh, have spent here. I'm thinking about the carpet just here. And I remember our moment right here. I think I was on my knees right here when Pastor Chris was praying over me. And it was the first time that I'd experienced speaking in tongues and being filled uh, with the Spirit. I remember our moment right here, Lee and I, time after time when we had the birth of our first daughter, And I remember we'd run out to kids because there was a call for healing and a miracle. And for those of you who don't know, our our daughter's got a whole heap of different special needs and we experienced miracle after miracle on this spot right here. And then there's this spot of carpet over here. You don't want this spot of carpet. This is the scary spot of carpet because I remember the moment that I stood right here. I was sitting uh, right here. And I received a prophecy that ultimately led about a week or two later to being employed at Eastlake Church and then two years later uh, to be leading that church. And so I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you so much and be careful of that bit of carpet (laughs) over there. Hey, I know you guys are going through a, a collection of talks on this idea of canvas. What could we create? What could we do with a blank canvas? And my wife's really into art at the moment. We've transformed our spare bedroom into an art room. It's great. Her mother, my mother-in-law can't sleep over anymore. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. She's going to find out about that. Uh, but uh, she's been really into her art. And, and what always intimidates me when it comes to art is, is where do I start? What, what do I want to do. I, I don't know what I actually want to create here in this moment. It's blank. I've got all the paint. I've got the tools. But what do I actually want to create? And I kind of had that feeling this week when Pastor Chris said uh, that the, we're doing canvas. And I went, great. What should I create? <laughs> what should we talk about? And I just uh, instantly was drawn to the book of Acts. For those of you who don't know, the book of Acts is really the story of the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. It's written by a guy called Luke and it accounts for the time after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension into heaven. And it's kind of just the uh, episodes, if you like. Luke writes them in Acts. I like to think of it as the Netflix of the Bible. And it accounts for all of these moments in incredible uh, birth and, and birthing pains of the new uh, church of Jesus Christ. And, and I want to look today at two ingredients of a healthy church from this text in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3 or episode 3, a guy called John and Peter healed a man. He wasn't able to walk for over 40 years and they healed him. And you expect this stir of excitement and faith, but instead it stirred the pot of political power in the day. And the people in leadership, they were afraid and intimidated by John and Peter. In Acts chapter 4, they call him, both of them in. And they threaten him. They accuse them. 
They warn them, do not do anything else in the name of Jesus. These are the same people who crucified Jesus. Do not do anything else in His name. And, and John and Peter, they both say, as for us, we cannot help but share about what we have seen and what we have heard. And they stand before them with this great boldness and, and the leaders of the day didn't know what to do with them. So they let them go. But the persecution, the intimidation, the threats, they continued. And John and Peter, their first response was to turn from this place and turn to their community, to their church, to this new church of Jesus Christ. And they come to them and you know what they do first? They praise they pray, they lift up the name of Jesus. They say, Sovereign Lord, You knew all of this would happen. Sovereign Lord. And then they prayed not for personal protection, not for personal gain, but instead they said, Lord, give us boldness. Give us courage to continue to speak of the truth and the good news of Jesus. And as we do, Lord, Follow it with signs and wonders and works of your power. And then we arrive at Acts chapter 4, verse 32. It says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owed and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet." Good news story. Uh, but I got to jump back to this first verse. It says that all the believers were in one heart and mind. That didn't just happen instantly. If you know humans, you know it's almost impossible. Like just wham, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. No, the church were in the middle of persecution of intimidation of these threats. The church experiences the power of Jesus healing this man. And then pain and persecution follows, but the result is unity. It's this bizarre equation of the power of God, pain, suffering, persecution, and it resulted in unity. But it's exactly how our God works. It's not to say that pain and persecution always produce good things. No, they tear apart relationships, families. It's actually that they had experienced and shared in this struggle first and then through prayer and gathering together, they put Jesus at the centre of it all. Jesus at the centre of it all. And then after this, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. It's called unity. They were united in prayer, not for personal protection or gain, but for power and boldness to what? 
to complete the mission. Unity comes from being on mission. The mission, His mission. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued. Everyone say continued. They continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Unity is not the end goal. Unity is the starting point. They continued to testify of Jesus. Too many churches place unity at the end goal or they get to this place of happy, family, fuzzy, beautiful and they forget to continue. It's why we've got so many Christian communities that are inward, that are invisible at best or unattractive at worst. It's easy to be unified with a static group of people. You kick the ones you don't like out and you never invite anyone else in. But let me tell you this morning, unity is meant to be attractive. Unity is meant to be sexy. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Elsewhere in John, Jesus gets real specific and He said that unity that'll be the factor that the people in this world will know that you are sent by Him. The purpose of unity is not for us. The purpose of unity is for everyone. And I'm not talking about uniformity. Everyone wear the same thing, dress the same way, look the same way. No, I'm talking about unity. It's different. They were united in purpose. The first ingredient of a healthy church is this. Number one, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus at the centre of it all. And so all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that anything of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and distributed it to anyone who had need. Now, before you start gripping your wallets and freaking out, we're not gonna do a double tithe today. Why don't you stop? Why don't you stop? And just recognise the beauty of this. No one had any need. From time to time, people would sell their houses. They'd bring the profit, the sale to the feet of the apostles and it would be distributed to anyone who had need. They were in one heart and one mind. Sometimes we get so distracted by the sacrifice that this must take that we miss the beauty that it creates. It's messy, but it's beautiful. It's messy, but it's beautiful. It makes me think of family dinner at my house. The four of us sit around and we sit in the same place every time. We go around and say, what was your favourite thing about the day? Over to my left would be Piper. She can't eat with her mouth and so she licks and, and smells all of our food and plays with it. But she's neat. She's tidy, 
next to her in peace and quiet is my wife, Lee. And then on the other side of the table, there's me next to our daughter, Taya. (laughs) Taya is wild. She is adventurous and she is as generous as she is messy and food is everywhere. And every time that we're eating, she's just so generous that she'd be passing me all of her food, pasta with yogurt on it, eat the mashed banana from in between my fingers. And I'm disgusted by it. I'm the guy that never double dips. In fact, I'll speak out in a gathering. What are you doing double dipping? Get away from, if you breathe on my food, I'm not interested. And here's my daughter, beautiful and sweet. Daddy, have some. Daddy, have some. Daddy, have some. And I bite off that sultana covered in whatever it is, spaghetti sauce. It's horrible. But it's beautiful. The mums go, oh. And the dads go, that's me. It's messy, but it's beautiful. Unity. It's meant to be attractive, but so too with generosity. When did generosity get so scary? When did generosity get so scary? Generosity is meant to be sexy too. Generosity is meant to attract. We know this inherently. We know it because we love to see acts of kindness. We love to see acts of generosity, but then it's my turn, right? Which brings me to another family dinner. It was only a few weeks ago. It was my dad's 60th birthday. And mum super generously paid for us all to go stay in a hotel in Fremantle overnight with my brother and sister and our partners. And it was beautiful act of generosity, but attached was the fact that I had to show up for a photo shoot the next day. I could deal with that. It was a good night. We went out, we had dinner, fancy restaurants and ordered way too much. And then we went to the till. And as I got to the till, the lady said, oh no, it's all good. That man over there has already paid. I looked over and it was my brother. What a beautiful act of generosity. Except we still had to go for breakfast and the movies the next day. So I said to Lee on the way back, transfer some money into that account. I cannot let my brother outdo me. And this intimidation was overwhelming. And so I got to breakfast and yeah, let's, let's go big. Let's get whatever we want. And I go to the till, did the sneaky, just heading to the toilet before we finished thing, got to the till and the gut lady said, that tall, ugly guy over there, he's already paid for it. Pointing to my brother-in-law and I thought, you dog. <laughs> because I knew what was coming next. Gold tickets, uh, gold lounge tickets at Ace Cinema's Rockingham. And I thought, how generous of these people. But then the intimidation was growing on the inside of me and I rocked up at the cinema and thankfully the Lord's blessing and favour, my mum had already paid for the tickets. But as I went up to pay for the drinks and food, I started reading the receipt, looked back at my brother and brother-in-law with bottle of champagne, snacks, food, everything that they could stack on this receipt just to make me pay. (laughs) Generosity is beautiful, isn't it? 
but we all know that feeling of intimidation. Sometimes we just wanna leave. Sometimes we just wanna sweep it under the rug. And do you know what? I think the modern church has swept this Scripture at times under the rug. No one claims, not some, no one claimed that anything was their own. And I'm all for putting Scripture in its historical and cultural context. If we didn't do that, we'd have concubines. But that's a different time of history, a different side of the cross of Jesus. I can't sweep this under the rug. No one claimed that anything was their own. It's intimidating, I agree, but it's not going away. I love how Matthew Henry, the great theologian puts it. He said, they did not call it their own because they had an affection for Jesus. They had an affection forsaken everything for Christ. We cannot call anything our own, but sin. Wow. No man said what he had was his own because each one was willing to share with others. We say we wanna fight for unity, but I wonder what would it look like if we fought for generosity. You see, there really shouldn't be a gap between verse 33 and 34. The sentence doesn't end. It says, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. What was the powerful work in them all? The powerful work in them all was generosity. It was generosity. And the result was that there was no needy persons among them. Second ingredient of a healthy church is this, Jesus. Jesus at the centre of it all. It was Jesus that began this generosity it was continued because of His power and His grace. It's only because of Jesus. What is the church about? Jesus. And if we're about Jesus, then we're about the mission of the church. And if we're about the mission of the church, then we're about the plan, the perspective and the purpose of Jesus, right? And if we're about the plan, purpose and perspective of Jesus, then generosity isn't intimidating. It's an invitation. It's an opportunity. If we're about the plan, purpose and perspective of Jesus, then unity isn't exclusive. It's inclusive. We all want to be part of this type of community. They were in one heart, one mind. There was no needy among them. We all want to be part of, of a vibrant, attractive community. So what will you bring to the equation? Generosity, unity, Jesus at the centre of it all. Generosity, unity, Jesus at the centre of it all. What does it mean to, to keep Jesus at the centre of it all? Does it mean we need to circle our chairs now? Do we need to erect a cross in the middle of the building? No, it's got nothing to do with the place. It's got everything to do with what you bring. Yeah. Unity, generosity, Jesus at the centre of it all. Would it surprise you to know that church isn't even in your Bible? Jesus never even said the word church. 
We read it first in Matthew 16, 18. It says, I tell you, and uh, Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. But Josh, didn't you say that church was never in the Bible? Well, I think the English translation misses what was really communicated in this message. You see, the Greek word that Jesus used was ekklesia. And ekklesia, it's not a religious term. It was used to refer to soldiers gathering for an army or or people gathering for civic purposes. And ekklesia is simply a gathering or an assembly of people called out for a specific purpose. It never referred to a specific place, only a specific gathering. And so when Jesus uses this term, His disciples understood Him to say, I am gonna build my own assembly of people and the foundation of this assembly will be me. It'll be Jesus at the centre of it all. But we should be asking if our Bible says church and doesn't replace the word with gathering, where did this word church come from? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Because I think the answer is more important than we could imagine. You see, in short, in really, really short, in AD 313, the Emperor Constantine declared that he was a Christian. And it was wildly controversial at the time but it brought Christianity to the Roman elite. And they began building temples and houses of God and the ecclesia ceased to be a movement and simply became a place. It ceased to be a group expanding and sharing the unique identity and purpose and it became a location. They called these locations Basilia. And in German culture, it's translated to Kirka. And we translate that word in the English to church. You see, the rest of the Bible, the majority of it uses words as a translation of the Greek, but not so in this case. The word church is not a translation from the Greek. It's a substitution in the Greek and a bad one. (laughs) The German term Kirka and the Greek term Ekklesia refer to two different ideas. You can lock the doors of a kirka, but not so the ecclesia of Jesus. What does this mean to all of us? It means we need to look at our kirkas and start asking some questions. Are we moving or simply meeting? Are we making measurable difference in our local community or simply conducting services? Are we organised around a mission or are we organised around an antiquated ministry model from a previous generation? Are we allocating resources as if Jesus is the hope of the world or are we allocating resources according to squeaky wheels of church culture? Are we an ecclesia or have we settled for a kirka? Are we an ecclesia or have we settled for a kirka? Because our mission is to be moving, not just meeting. Our mission's be organised around a purpose to traffic hope, not just build a church and make a difference in a community by inviting people into our family, not just our building. A church provides a space. An ecclesia fills a space in all of us. A church provides a space and ecclesia fills a place in all of us. I'm reminded of Nehemiah 3. 
It's one of my favourite scriptures in the Bible. It's also a story of a canvas, the beginning of a new thing. Jerusalem is in rubble and the walls are ruined and Nehemiah, he gathers these people together. And as you read Nehemiah 3, it's kind of boring and a whole lot of names that you don't understand. But when you understand what's happening, it all comes to life. You see, you read about this guy and this guy working next to that guy and there's an accountant over here and he's building the wall in front of him. And then there's a goldsmith over here and he's working on the wall in front of him. And then there's a priest over here and he's working on the wall in front of him. And there's a builder over here and he's walking, working on a wall in front of him. And it accounts for 42 groups of people. 42 families from low society and high society come together, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. What would it look like? if we had that same Nehemiah 3 kind of spirit. You know what I love about this story is that they were building this wall with hammers. But the Scripture tells us that they had a sword by their side to defend the attack that would come against their community and against their church. They had hammer and they had sword. You are building more than a church in this place, Awakened City. You are a movement of people undivided by preference or culture, united in your faith in Jesus Christ. The spirit of generosity is spilling over in you because of Him. You are the kind of people who will put aside preference and culture to pick up a hammer and a sword to fight the good fight, bring hope to all humanity because you love your God and He's transformed your life. And you can't help but share it with others. What will you bring to the equation? Unity, generosity, Jesus at the centre of it all. If I had a canvas right here, right now, I would use the most attractive colours to draw you in. I'd paint with unity. I'd paint with generosity. And my brush it would be a hammer. My brush, it would be a sword and I don't know what it would create, but I do know where to begin now. With Jesus at the centre of it all. Can I pray with you? Dear Lord, I thank You for this church. Lord, I thank You that they are the kind of church that would continue to the work of Your grace transforming their lives and Your love transforming this city. I pray, Lord God, that You would use them, that You would stir up a boldness and a courage on the inside of them to be the kind of people that say, as for us, as for Awakened City, we cannot help but share about what we have seen and what we have heard. Lord, I pray that Your power, the suffering of this world would result in a unity that points people towards You, that points people towards Your cross and Your resurrection and that empty tomb, that new life. In Jesus' mighty Name, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.